guess which book we're studying? The book of Acts. Guess which chapter we're in? Chapter 2. All right, we're still there because that's when it all began. That's what we've got to understand. That's the foundation of the church. That's the foundation of our lives as members of the church. And so we have to remember um, to, to really meditate on, think through, process these messages that God has preserved throughout history for his people. You know, he preserved this word for you today so you could hear the word of God. So that the word of God could enter your mind and your, your heart and change your life. And so this morning's message is called God's Rescue Plan because that's what's taking place in the narrative of the book of Acts. That's what's taking place there on Pentecost. So often we get distracted by some of the things that happened on that particular day of Pentecost. We can get distracted by the flames of fire, or we can get distracted by the the tongues, the different languages that are being spoken. But the ultimate bottom line purpose of the Holy Spirit being given to the church is so that God could then use the church to rescue those who are lost and to bring them to himself and to expand his family throughout generation to generation to generation. You'll see that as we read his word this morning. Particularly, I want you to to go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and I just want to read to you what Peter says. So he's been preaching to them. These are the Jews that have gathered for Pentecost. Pentecost is a Jewish festival that the uh, righteous Jews, those who are trying to live righteous lives by keeping the law, because it's Old Testament times, right? By keeping the law, they were there in Jerusalem. They had traveled from all over so they could be there for this feast of Pentecost. So they were God-seeking people. They weren't, you know, rebels out there. You know, they were, they were looking to live a godly life. And then he preached to them to explain to them what just happened. Jesus. Jesus had, had been risen up by God. He'd been given this life, this ministry. He was God himself. And so if you read that whole chapter, you'll get to hear Peter's words and his explanation to them that this Jesus was crucified by you he says to the crowd, by you. You allowed this to happen. And so this is where where we get to here at the end of chapter two. It says um, with, you know, that that when people heard this, they heard that, we'll go back to 36. They were there uh, listening to this sermon at the very end. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, the one I just talked to you about, whom you crucified, God has made him Lord and Christ, or Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to their hearts, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brother, brothers, what what can we do? What shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized Every single one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God has call, will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation 
Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's the passage we're focused on. Now, I noticed when people started to move, all of your heads started to move in that direction. You know, there's something interesting. God actually designed our eyeballs. Do you know that? God designed every part of us, but he designed our eyeballs to be round so that we could see pretty far in the peripheral, right? We can see kind of back here. At some point, I have to turn my head, but you can, you can see not just straight ahead. Some animals, some creatures, some lizards and things, they can only see straight ahead or they can, they can but, but we were given these beautiful eyes so that movement, things that move actually attract us and we start to turn our eyes, but then our head follows, right? So that is a little bit of an illustration of what repentance actually means, right? Because Peter's response to their question, what shall we do, starts with this word repent. And that word has been used and abused throughout culture, but I want us to understand biblically what repent actually means. Because repent is, is, is a simple term, just like it's simple to turn your head and to look in a direction where you see movement, right? Repentance involves turning from sin and turning to God. You don't want half of that message. It's not just turning from sin, depriving yourself of something. It's turning to God and filling yourself with something. It's replacement. It's not just, you know, saying no, 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 no. You know, just, just gritting your teeth and trying to stand firm. It's turning into a relationship with God. So we're going to practice this. You can stay seated if you need to, but if you'd like to stand up and stretch, you can. And we're going to practice repentance. You ready? All right. None of you want to stand? Okay. One of you stood up. All right. Uh, you can do it with your heads if your neck turns, right? So over here, we have some kind people who are willing to stand up and lift up their sign and try to get our attention. Are we all looking? All right, all right. So, we, so in order to repent, we have to turn from sin and turn to God, all right? For us specifically this morning, through, through Jesus... We receive this amazing grace that even though we had been attracted to these things and we had been involved in these things and the ultimate cause of these things would be our death, Jesus took that death on the cross for us and so we are to put our attention on him and our thanksgiving and our praise goes to him because of his great amazing grace, right? So let's... So let's repent, right? So let's, let's be attracted to the movement over here. And then one, two, three, repent and turn over here. And thank God for the relationship we have with our Father in heaven because of Jesus Christ. Let's practice again. Oh, oh, I, I'm attracted to these things. I'm being, I'm being drawn into these things. But then I realize, like, like Tanya said, I need to repent and I need to get my eyes on Jesus. I need to remember his cleansing, his power, the forgiveness of sins that he's given us and be filled with the Spirit. One more time. All turn this way. Oh, it's so, so attractive. It's so moving. It's so, you know, oh, let's repent over here. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you give us freedom from sin. We thank you that we're no longer slaves to sin. All right, you may be seated.
Thank you for playing the repentance game. But it's not a game. Seriously. When, when we walk through life, there are things that move and jiggle and dazzle us. And sometimes they're not things that are good for us. Sometimes they are in the category of sin and they will draw our attention away from the one who should have our adoration, our worship, our praise, our full attention should be on Christ. And following him. And obviously we have to live our lives. We have to eat our sandwiches and we have to go to work and we've got to do some of those, walk the dog. We've got to live our lives. But the whole time, our, our, our hearts can be geared towards Christ. Thankful for his goodness. Filled with joy that we have been saved from death for the wages of sin are death. If we are just to follow sin and its, its consequence, eventually it leads to death. Sometimes physical death, but ultimately spiritual death. Separation from God because our attention is not on God and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. So you've all practiced repentance. I'm so glad for that. Now we're going to look in more detail at at what, what is being said here. What is being said to these people who are saying, what shall we do? Their hearts were cut within them. Their conscience was, was, was stirred within them. And they, and they say in verse 30, 37, what shall we do? What shall we do? And the, the answer is repent. Turn away from that sin and turn to God. See, John the Baptist preached this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In Luke 3, 3, that, that's what it says. John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus stated it very bluntly when he spoke to the people of Israel. In Luke chapter 13, in in two verses, verses 3 and verse 5, Jesus says these words, and I want you to hear them. Unless you repent, you too will perish. And then he says it again in, in, in the very next sentence. Unless you repent, you too will perish. Now, we know that the heart of God is that none would perish. The heart of God is that he made a way that you don't have to die, that you don't have to be separated from him for eternity. But Jesus made it clear. We have to repent. We have to turn from sin and, and the lifestyle of sin, and we need to turn to God in order to receive life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus for that very purpose, that whoever believes in Christ, the message of the gospel, shall not perish, right? If you know the verse, shall not perish, but shall, shall receive eternal life in him. And so that's what God has done. That's God's rescue plan. In the Old Testament, there was a type of baptism. So these are good Jews, and so we need to talk a little bit about the Old Testament, what they were used to in, in the Old Testament rituals. In the Old Testament, there was a ritual of immersion, of baptism, when priests were brought forward to be consecrated for the priesthood. Now, consecrated is a big word. Let me break it down for you. To be set aside to serve as a priest in the temple. So when, when, a, when a, a young man was, was, because of his family connections and because of his training, was going to go into the priesthood, he would be baptized. 
he would be immersed. They actually had six different uh, pools of immersion around the temple grounds so that those men could be washed and set aside for service for the Lord. Our baptism's a little bit like that, right? We're, we're, we're set aside. We're saying, I want to live for God. I don't want to live a life of sin as a slave to sin any longer. I want to live for God. I want to live a holy life. I want to, I want to please him in every way and serve him in the ways that he's gifted me to. So it's part of like a holy ritual that was set aside in the Jewish faith. So then the Christians, starting with John the Baptist, but moving forward now in Pentecost, the Christians developed a new type of baptism. It's a one-time event similar to the baptism that a Gentile, so anyone that was non-Jewish, would also be baptized to become a Jew. Now they wouldn't be a Jew Genetically, but they could follow the Jewish religion by being baptized. So it was a conversion from non-Jew to Jew. That also was being practiced. So this isn't something brandy new that no one can understand or no one understood when, when Peter spoke these words. He says, you need to be baptized. They said, oh, like the priests or like a convert from, from uh, any other religion or no religion at all to Judaism? We need to go through that process to identify ourselves with Jesus. Notice what the verse says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. And then the next line is, in the name of Jesus Christ. So to identify yourself with Jesus Christ, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that you can be called a Christ follower. Now it's interesting because the next line says, for the forgiveness of your sins... And we don't believe that baptism, the act of baptism, actually washes away your sins. Because scripture doesn't line up with that. You could get that idea, so we have to be careful. I want to say that. it's, It's not that the baptism forgives you. It's turning to God, calling on Jesus, receiving forgiveness from him, and being baptized. Identifying yourself with what Jesus has done. Believing the gospel message. It was apparently first practiced by John the Baptist. We know that because Jesus himself was baptized. This is how we also know that it's not the forgiveness of sins that you get baptized, right? It disconnects that because Jesus had no sin. He was sinless. So then why would he have to be baptized? Well, it's it's because he needed to identify himself with the Father's ministry on this earth to bring life to his people. And he wanted to lay an example for us to follow. Jesus didn't actually practice baptism himself. He didn't baptize people during his three years of ministry. That's also interesting. You would think like, well, why didn't, when people came to him, why didn't he baptize them? He left that for the church. He left that for his disciples to follow and to have as, 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 as a way to identify and identify people within the new community of the church. So he left that for them. But he did make it a requirement. In Matthew 28, we know as the Great Commission, just before Christ ascended back into heaven, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. And the very next word is baptizing them. 
So it has something to do with discipleship, has something to do with following Jesus. And it's important enough that Jesus would add it to that phrase, go and make disciples of all nations. Next word, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that I have told you. So there's a process there that we need to remember. We know that baptism does not save us But it symbolizes that we have been forgiven and that we are putting our faith in Christ. 100%. We're trusting him with our lives. In fact, the the word, the Greek word is baptisma, right? And it actually means immersion, going under the water. This is why we practice it this way. We don't do sprinkling unless it's necessary for medical purposes or whatever. But, But we do Baptism, by immersion, we actually will put you under the water. Those of you who are going to be baptized, get ready. I'm not just going to sprinkle some water on you. I'm going to say, let's go, and we're going to go under the water, right? Immersion, think about the word immersion. And think about the message last week when we talked about the tongues and what has to happen for someone to learn a foreign language. Do you know the best way to learn the foreign language is through immersion? They call, it, they call it immersion. You go and you have to like live in a culture where everyone is speaking a different language and then your brain struggles, but it starts to pick up on phrases and words and you know what a spoon is and you know what it means to ask for a drink and that type of thing. Immersion. Think about becoming a Christian. You're leaving an old culture of sin. You're leaving an old culture where, where you just gave in to every temptation. You just did what felt good. You just lived that kind of life until you met Jesus. And you realize there was a new way to live. If you're then immersed in that new way of living, that new culture of other believers, because this is the church, this isn't just an individual thing, you're baptized and you join God's church. Not just a local church, but his church around the world, right? But it's through immersion. You need to surround yourself with people who are talking about Jesus, who are thinking about Jesus, who are trying to please Jesus. And as you do that, as you study God's word, and as you sing with them, and as you serve with them, you're changed through immersion. It started with baptism by immersion. Those of you who have become Christians and then try to do it all alone... That's crazy, or as they say, cray-cray. That's cray-cray. You can't do it alone. It's too hard. When you get discouraged, when you're upset, when you don't know what to do, you are called back to that life because those are the habits and things that once held you captive. And you don't have an example. You don't have anyone around you saying like, oh, actually, no, here's what you should do. Let's pray and ask God for strength so you can do the right thing. So you can keep following Jesus here. So through immersion, through being surrounded by, this is the beauty of the church, being surrounded by other believers. It's not 24-7 because you got to go to work or you got to do certain things that you can't always be with other believers. But in the opportunities that God allows you to, you are being changed. You're becoming more like Christ together. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It signifies Not only going under the water, it doesn't produce salvation, but it signifies that you have been saved. It puts you in that category. It takes you from from being unsaved to being saved, from, from being lost to being found. And it's a symbol for the whole Christian community to celebrate together, and we'll do that next week. 
Because of what Jesus has done for us, our sins are completely covered. So when we're immersed, you could also think of that as like, my, my sins have been paid for. They're covered. I'm covered now in this water. I've been, I've been drenched in this water. Your sins have been covered by Jesus. He did what was necessary to cancel them and to cancel their power over your life. And now you stand reconciled with God in the name of Jesus. Because you didn't do it yourself. Jesus did it for you and then invites you into it. And so in the name of Jesus, you come before the Father and you're cleansed. You walk in freedom. Then this verse says, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Love that. Love that. Because when we are saved, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us. The Holy Spirit enters us to make us a dwelling place for him. The Spirit of Jesus takes up residence in our heart. It's like we're walking temples. You know, the Holy of Holies was a place in the temple where the priest would go on one day a year and go in there to make sacrifices, atonement. We now live in that every day, every night, all day, all night. We have this opportunity to be made right with God. Atonement means to be made one, you know, to be made whole again. You can be made whole every day in the name of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, by the word of God. And the spirit reminds us of the word of God. The spirit brings reality to the word of God. So you're like a a walking holy of holies. You're being made holy. It is a process for sure. You're not instantly 100%. By faith you are, but living it out It's a growth thing, right? We have to grow. We have to learn. We have to mature, Scripture says. We have to mature from being babies to being mature adults in Christ. The promise of forgiveness and the Holy Spirit, these are two promises that we get. When we repent and we turn to Jesus for the forgiveness, we receive forgiveness and we receive the Holy Spirit. The great thing about this is it wasn't just for those people on that day way back then because listen to these words in verse 39 this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off now that could be distance in just miles so all you know ends of the earth type of stuff but it also can be those who are far off in the future that's us that's you That's me. This promise is for you and me. Because we were far off from that day of Pentecost. We weren't there that day. It would be awful if it was just for those people that could be there on that day. But it's not. For the church. The church of Jesus Christ. You and me. We were far off, but now we're being drawn close. We've been made close. Now, let me read verse 40 to you again. With many other words, Peter, who's preaching, he warned them. He pleaded with them. And this is what it says in the NIV. And I want to make a little correction here. I don't like to do it a lot. But it says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. We know because the gospel teaches we can't save ourselves. 
So it doesn't mean that. It's been interpreted that way because our English language is, is difficult to go from Greek to English sometimes and find the right words. The better words there would be, let yourselves be saved. It is a, yes, God. It is, a, it is an attitude. You've got to have a, yes, God. Let yourself be saved. You can't save yourself, but you can allow yourself to be saved. It's God's desire to save you. Let him. Don't resist him. Let him. Let him breathe life into you. Let him bring forgiveness into you. Let him love you. Let him save you. And the last verse in this chapter shows us the amazing result of the Spirit's work on that day. And the Spirit's work every time the gospel is preached. Maybe not in these numbers, but this miracle of being cleansed, forgiven in the name of Jesus, and given the Holy Spirit is available every day. The last verse shows the results of the Spirit's work. It says, an incredible revival broke out that day. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 of them were added to the number. They went from 120 to 3,000. I don't know what percentage increase that is, but it's big. Those of you who are mathematicians, don't get distracted. You can do it that as homework. But I want you to think about yourself for a moment. Why don't you think about where you are in this message here today? Because the message is for you and for me. And I want you to ask, is this something I need to do or I need to be reminded of? Because if you've repented and turned to Jesus, gone from a life that was controlled by sin and received his forgiveness and grace then you should then have been baptized at some point in that journey. If you haven't been baptized, good news, next week there's baptism. (laughs) It shows your connectedness to Jesus. You're you're wanting to be one of his family. It, It lets the family of God receive you in that way and welcome you in that way and hear from you what has God brought you to. So, here's who we are as believers. Those who have walked through that repentance process, those who have been forgiven of their sins, those who have walked in a discipleship relationship and been baptized and been filled with the Spirit. Here's who we are. And I want you to know this is you. I want you to have confidence that this is you. And if it isn't, if somewhere in you you're like, oh, I'm not sure, then I want you to pray. We'll take some time and pray in a minute. But this is who we are. We are turn around and be rescued people. We are repent and be forgiven people. Right? It's a process. We are baptized and spirit-filled people. Those who are in Christ. We are Jesus' people. We're his family. We're his brothers and sisters, Scripture even says, which is amazing. Right? So... Are you, let's just turn those two words around, are you a turnaround and be rescued person? Have you done that? Has it happened? Are you a repenting and receiving forgiveness person? 
Have you been baptized and filled with his spirit as a person? Do you consider yourself to be a Jesus person? I belong to Jesus. I'm one of the family. I'm part of the kingdom of God. I no longer identify myself with my old sinful life. I identify myself with Jesus. And through his amazing grace, I receive that. Every day, his mercies are new every day. Sometimes we need to keep refreshing ourselves in that, like taking a bath in that, reminding ourselves of that. That's why we have his word and his spirit and the fellowship of the saints. But are you confident that this is, this is you? You're a Jesus person. Because if you're not, if you're not confident, I want you to pray. Ask God. Because if it's not true, if... if Jesus, um, the, the word says here that Peter, he, he began to plead with them. He began to warn them. And I will humble myself and plead with you and warn you as well. You need to repent. Jesus made it clear. Repent or you will perish. There is no life outside of Christ. No matter what the world tells you, no matter what your pride tells you, there is no life outside of Christ. No life worth living outside of Christ. So I do, I plead with you. Get right. Repent. It's that easy. It's, it's a turning from sin and turning to Christ and just saying, yes, God. Come, help me. Bring me into that relationship through the power of your Holy Spirit. Because I want to become a part of the kingdom movement, the kingdom of God. I want to be identified with Jesus. I want to be part of the people that claim his life, his death, his resurrection as the center of their lives, as the foundation of their lives. And if this isn't you, you haven't been baptized to join this Jesus movement, I pray that the Spirit would Cut your heart, that he'd get to you, that he'd get in there and begin to loosen your, your mind from whatever's holding you back. And I want to pray. I want to pray right now. God, you are a God of life, a God of new life. You're a creative God. You can take something that looks awful and make it beautiful. You can take death and bring life back to it. You can take a sinner and make them a saint in your eyes. Only you can do that. And you do it through Jesus Christ. You do it through your son who did the work for us so that we could walk in relationship with you. God, I pray for every heart, everyone who can hear my voice, those at home, watching at home. Speak to us. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to know whether we are lost or found whether we're dead or alive 
because of Christ. We want to be found in you, in Christ. So God, we just ask that your spirit would just hover over us and keep working on us and continue to speak clearly to us so that none would perish, but all would find eternal life in Jesus. Pray this in his name. Amen. Now be careful. We're funny people. I think we got trained by the television remote control or the buttons on the stereo in your car to change channels. Are any of you channel changers? You're always flipping through the channels, flipping through the channels, flipping through the channels. I want you to try to resist the channel-changing nature that some of us have been trained in. And let the Spirit of God speak. Because it's a still small voice sometimes. It's, it's a thought. It's an impression. It's a feeling. He speaks softly often. And we'll miss it if we're running through the channels if we're looking for something to entertain us. Remember, our eyes are attracted to movement. And if we don't concentrate, we'll be distracted. You know, a little cartoon where the dog, whenever he's, a squirrel goes by, he's trying to pay attention to this, but he goes, squirrel! Right? We're kind of like that. We're distracted too easily from God. I say that we're attracted to movement. I want you to think about the movement of Jesus. What is Jesus doing? Can I get my, my heart on him? Because yes, he lived and died and ascended and has gone into heaven. But what is he doing now on the earth? What is he doing now in your life? What is he doing now in your family? What is he doing now in your home? What is Jesus doing? Because he's working. He's doing something. And often we miss it because we get distracted by squirrels. Sometimes you have to wait on God and say, God, show me what you're doing. Lead me in your path. Light the path for me so I can walk in you. Because we're all in different places in life. We're all in different places. We've got different things going on. Some of you are grieving. You've lost a loved one recently. Jesus is there and he's doing something. Some of you are struggling find a job or your finances are a wreck. Jesus is there. He's doing something. He's not frozen in time. He's alive today for you and for me. Amen? Amen. Amen.